show, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, my name is Pete Wright, and I'm here with Megan Strand. Hey there. And Dane Christensen. Hello. And this is The Naked Marketers. Uh, and uh, you can find us, if, you, if you're listening to us on thenakedmarketers.com, make sure to head over to iTunes and subscribe to the show in the iTunes store for free, so just to make sure you don't miss a single episode. That's the best way to keep up with us. Uh, we, uh, what do we have to talk about today, you guys? It seems like it's been forever since we have had a show. It has been forever. It's been very sad. I've missed you both desperately. Desperately. Likewise. Mostly, uh, yeah, I, I, have, I have absolutely missed your rapier wit, your <laughs> charming personality, and your interesting bone structure. Uh, it's, it's, been a, uh, it, it's been a long time. The summer, summer schedule is a little bit funky for us, so we, we, we kind of keep plodding along here. But we've got, uh, we've got more great interviews coming up. Uh, a great show today. Uh, Dane hooked us up with, uh, with the wonderfully talented and informative uh, Douglas Poli. Uh, Dane, what do, we, what do we know about Doug? Well, <laughs> he, you know, he'll, he'll have to do a little bit of a, uh, giving an introduction into what it is he does because it's uh, uh, it's a little technical. Um, but he spends a lot of time um, helping uh, customers adopt uh, Google's uh, cloud computing technologies, and, and uh, anyway, um, very aware of, of a lot of uh, the innovations and and the evolution both of cloud computing, uh, social media, um, and other ways that uh, technology is really affecting and sometimes disrupting. Uh, companies and corporate culture well it's uh we're very interested to get doug's interview on the show here today he's uh he's a fascinating guy um but first what do we have on the brain megan the iphone because we have to always start with the iphone and that is this is the apple update show let's talk about the iphone <laughs> so what do you know what do you know about what happened this uh what's been going on this week are you up to speed I don't know that I'm up to speed, except for the fact that, it, well, no, I'm not up to speed. I'm not even going to pretend that I am. All I know is that there's a, this antenna, this built-in antenna that's supposed to be so fabulous is causing some issues. And uh, Apple has been forced to come forward and actually talk about it. Well, we, we don't actually know if they're going to talk about it. The, the, the uh, press conference has not yet happened, but they have scheduled a press conference for Friday. That If you're not up to speed on what's going on with iPhone 4, there is a fantastic and much-touted new antenna design, which puts the antenna in the, the stainless steel bezel around the phone, the frame of the phone. And there is a, a place on the phone in the lower left-hand corner of that bezel where two different antennas come together with a black seam. And if you hold it just the way a lefty with sweaty palms would hold their phone if they had giant ape-like hands, you will cover <laughs> that that space on the phone and you will cause the, the signal to degrade. And, you know, that it has gotten so confusing. Mostly, I think Apple did this to themselves um, when specifically Steve Jobs, uh, responded to an email complaint uh, from a, a user expressing concern about this uh, issue uh, when he said, don't hold the phone that way. Oh. Well, that, I, oh. I think that started it all. So this is, this is first and foremost a PR issue. And, and it's, it's 
more a PR issue even than a technical issue because what they what many have since discovered is that the Nexus One, the BlackBerry, the iPhone 3G, if you find where that antenna is on that phone and you hold it in a certain way, you can also cause the the signal to degrade visibly on those phones as well. This is an issue that's endemic of, of antennas in cell phones, not specifically of the iPhone 4. The iPhone 4 has become a giant target because of how Apple has handled this, which is, in a word, poorly, in my opinion. Um, <laughs> now, that said, the, what the last nail, or I should say the most recent nail in the uh, iPhone 4 antenna, antenna gate, is uh, Consumer Reports, which, uh, you know, originally had come out on the blog post saying, you know, this antenna thing, it happens everywhere, it's not a big deal. And then uh, they said, you know, we're going to get it into our, our formal testing center uh, shortly, and we'll give a, a complete report. But in our initial review, it's, it's you know, it's not a big deal. It should not, um, it, it should not prevent you from buying this phone. Then they took it into their labs, and they did what amounts to a, a mildly uh, more sophisticated test than some of the more sophisticated bloggers that have been writing about this uh, issue. And they say that, in fact, if you have the iPhone and you cover it in a certain way and you are in a certain place of low signal in your community, there is a chance that you could drop calls. And that makes this a more significant issue. And the result is they say they can no longer recommend the iPhone 4. Oh, by the way, it's also the single best smartphone we have ever tested. All in the same and, breath. And, and, and like you're saying, Pete, I mean, from what I've heard, uh, it, it is a very limited uh, either instance of it ever happening or the kinds of people, as you kind of described, <laughs> a uh, prototypical um, bad iPhone 4 user. Uh, that's a really small percentage of the overall user experience or users who use it, but because it's such a big product and has sold so many and will sell so many, that's a significant uh, number in population terms, just right. not percentage terms. Right. Well, so and that's that's it. And you know, I I've and I make make fun of the big hand big big handed lefties, but but the truth is, you know, if I I'm looking at my phone right now, I'm in an area of good signal, and if I put my hand over that section of the of the phone, I can watch the signal degrade. And I've done this a lot because I'm really hypersensitive about these sort of form and function things, and want to make sure that if it's, you know, I'm, I'm just anal about that stuff. So uh, I put the phone on the desk and I make a phone call on speakerphone and then I'm connected and I put my finger over the phone, uh, over the antenna area, and I watch the cell bars degrade. I have never dropped a call in this little experience. And I've done this dozens of times trying to duplicate the dropped call issue. I've never dropped a call. To my knowledge, even those people who are experiencing this problem, the people that I know who have these phones, very limited, you know, survey uh, sample size, uh, have also never dropped a call. They can absolutely duplicate the issue, but it never gets to the point where service goes away. Uh, and so I don't know if maybe, you know, Apple says it's a software issue that they're going to be releasing a software update that will change the size of the bars and the way the bar, uh, the signal to bar ratio is calculated on the phone so it'll be more obvious when you're in a low signal area but in the meantime it's making them look really really bad so i don't yeah and we'll, we'll have to wait and see what happens at this uh, uh press conference but i have a hard time believing they're doing an entire formal uh press conference for a new uh what uh, ios upgrade yeah 
Yeah, I, I, I have a feeling. I know, you else. know, there have been people saying, you know, free bumper cases because that's really it. And, and Consumer Reports said if you're having this problem and you don't want to buy a case, put a little piece of duct tape over that area of the antenna and it'll it'll mitigate the issue. You put one of the bumper cases on any case on it, which just keeps your fingers away from that part of the phone and it makes the problem go away. Um, I use a, sometimes I use a case, sometimes I don't. This is still the the best, the single best, certainly the best iPhone I have used, but it is absolutely the best cell phone I've used, um, you know, bar none, even given this this issue. Again, for me, uh, so I maybe, seen it. So maybe the press conference is they are going to be offering a free roll of duct tape. To all <laughs> exactly. <iPhones laughs> that, would, that would really that be would icing be on awesome. the cake. Yeah. Don't hold it that way. And here's your duct tape. That's awesome. Uh, the stock yeah. might take a hit, but it would be funny. That's right. <laughs> uh, the, the Moving on. Next news. Uh, boy, can we talk about Old Spice anymore? I we have Old not Spice. talked that much about Old Spice. We, uh, we haven't talked about Old Spice enough. Okay, so do your impression of the Old Spice guy, Peter, just because you do a really good job. I, do, I don't. I can't do it anymore. They did 84 of these no, YouTube No, 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 spots. but just, just do his voice. It's awesome when you do it. It's, oh, see... I love you always. Silverfish hand catch. <laughs> no, was it even close? I wasn't oh, was ready awesome. for it. it I, need awesome. to, I need to get a mirror so, and take okay, my shirt Okay, so off. for people who've been living under a rock for the past, yeah. I don't know how long, a, a while, you may have missed the Old Spice Man commercials, which are just phenomenal. And Peter has been a raving fan. Wyden and Kennedy has put these together. And um, it, it, it recently just got... got upped a notch of awesomeness when Old Spice, the Old Spice guy, what did he do? He essentially took a bunch well, of Twitter comments and did custom YouTube videos in response to them. And they are awesome. I mean, he proposed on behalf of one Twitter follower to his girlfriend. <laughs> oh, it's it's brilliant. It, it was he, awesome. What? I mean, it was amazing. And just how did he crank those out? I mean, that well, they was, did it all in one day. I know. Uh, that's they, amazing. It, it is amazing. And, I, I, you know, it's a much lower rent kind of a, sh- a shoot than the original ad. You can tell they went oh, back yeah. to the bathroom. Uh, but they... Um they didn't do with the fan, any of the fancy set changes. This was these were really just sort of personal responses that were, uh, you know, I I think hats off to the team at Wyden and Kennedy more than anything else. I, I think it, uh, it it is a stunning achievement of professionalism to be able to crank out the the sheer number of videos with the quality of clever writing uh, that they were able to to do in in that single day and and. Um, uh, it was. It is a fantastically funny and and compelling campaign, mostly because it's still focused on the product. Uh, even in these short little clips uh, of, of of great humor, they still were able to bring the focus into uh, on Old Spice that was not ham handed or heavy handed, or if it was ham handed, it was in a way that that you know that made you love them even more. Uh, really, and, you and must check those out. What a brilliant uh, and unexpected thing from the very onset that Old Spice would ever have gone with Wyden and Kennedy uh, ever, and that Wyden and Kennedy would convince Old Spice to do not just this viral campaign, but all of the just funky yeah. spots that they've yeah. done over the last couple of years. Yeah. No, it's, yeah it's, I mean, that, that, that comes out of nowhere for me, and I think it's just brilliant. Uh, I think it's worked uh, so well for them, and according to Mashable, uh, I think today or yesterday, uh, they're putting Wyden and Kennedy and this uh, particular viral campaign out there as the uh, the current standard bearer and bar uh, on all viral campaigns. 
Yeah, Abs- absolutely. Uh, uh, and I think, widely, you know, wisely so, Wyden Kennedy is on an incredible role, uh, you know, responsible for the, the uh, Nike World Cup ad, which was yeah. uh, in a completely other vein, absolutely stunning and, and uh, brilliant, um, brilliant piece of film. Uh, definitely worth watching. So there, it's a great update to Old Spice. If you're into a little, uh, if you're into a little humor, make sure you you head over to the YouTube Old Spice channel and watch all of those ads, all 84 of them. But in particular, the one that he he does to his daughter. Uh, oh, is, that, that was cute. Oh, that was cute. It, it's a it's a choker. It's awesome, uh, and uh, they're really they're all they're all fantastic. Uh, so what else do we need to talk about? Um, Somebody else has something to say, right? Let's talk chat roulette. <laughs> oh, there you go. Megan's favorite. Well, Megan's on that all the time. There's She's a like spin the on the like lineup. Addict. That's right. I'm shaking it up, and mostly because I want to have I want to watch you spin a little bit why you picked this story. I just thought it was interesting that why? something why? as randomized as chat roulette has now seem to have some order placed to it. I mean, granted, it's smutty order. What is that? Uh, what has that done to your personal added, experience with chat roulette? I don't have a lot of personal experience with chat roulette hmm. outside of that Ben Folds video. So hmm. interesting. <laughs> no, I just I think it's interesting that they're now adding channels and localization services. So you can now do chat roulette with somebody in Portland, for example, who, or who maybe shares I, your specific interest. If I want to look at the MILF yeah. channel, I can look at that. So <laughs> Yeah, just read off some of the channels. I'm oh, curious. Okay, let's do it, Dane. I'm not uh, in front of a computer right now. So this so is looking out, okay? bad for me. This is looking bad for the, me. The number one channel that Megan has asked us to talk about is the oh, sex geez. channel on Chat Roulette. Oh, but if that's not enough, it's gay teen, girls, MILFs, couples, bisex, gay, local cyber sex, and young Asian girls. You skipped D and fur. Well, I think those are that's Germany and France and Great Britain. I, I skipped the uh, country locals. I don't mean to make all Germans look bad uh, for using chat. Okay, how about life. crazy? <laughs> okay, okay, that was uh, crazy. Stuff. That's a rated G That's channel. I doubt it. I don't. I don't personally find chat like compelling. I just thought it was interesting <laughs> that it. To me, it's probably a random experiment that somebody thought. Oh, let's some drunk guys got together of course it was guys and said let's try this and now it, you know it's actually they're putting some structure around it i just think that's it moving on it to is the next amusing story. thanks, thanks for bringing that up to our... i just am glad that you edit me out peter no 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 i'm i wouldn't ever edit that out uh, i'm just glad that you you thought to to bring that to all of our attention uh, thanks, Megan. it's like a public service this is a cause marketing play <laughs> wow okay moving on <laughs> Moving on, Dane, what's going on with iAds? Uh, iAds has some early success that's kind of interesting. And I, <clears throat> again, so my internet went down. That's why I'm on a cell phone here. But uh, <laughs> I was reading, uh, I don't have these names in front of me now, but uh, there's an app developer uh, who put out an application, I think, last week that allows you uh, to use the LED light to the camera as a flashlight. <clears throat> he did two versions. He did a paid version. Uh, and an iAds-supported version. And in one day, he made $1,400 on the, the free iAds version. Uh, there were not many uh, paid ones sold. People were okay, I guess, seeing the iAds. Uh, but he had a cost per 1000 uh, up in about the $150 range, which is uh, a very healthy, healthy rate. So we'll see. I mean, this is a, an example he went out there with. He... he uh, 
wanted to sort of share. He's just a, uh, as far as I know, a one shop developer, but uh, he wanted to share his experience or his success uh, with uh, the iAds uh, version. And I haven't, you know, we'll have to follow this and see, but uh, it's, it's interesting. Uh, it's interesting to watch new, uh, rev- not, not just new marketing um, uh, avenues and, and, and new medium, new, new ways to reach uh, consumers, but uh, new revenue models actually for products. Uh, it, it's interesting. Uh, it's interesting when free uh, makes money. It's always interesting when free makes money. I think it'll be interesting to see how this platform normalizes its growth. I wonder if the, the app in question is by a developer, Jason Ting, uh, and his he has a he has two apps: uh, the LED light for iPhone four and the LED light for iPhone four free. And the the free one obviously is ad subsidized with iAds. Uh, let's see. He says he got a total of uh, revenue on that one day of one thousand three hundred seventy-two dollars. Uh, average uh, cost per thousand one hundred forty-seven fifty-five on twenty-six thousand requests, ninety-three hundred actual impressions, fill rate of thirty-four percent, click-through rate eleven point eight percent. So, eleven point eight percent of the people are clicking through and and um, and and taking a look at those ads. That's a high click-through rate. That's a that's a pretty extraordinary click-through rate, and I I would imagine that a lot of that is based on well i i think it's an open question is it based on the purported high quality of the iads interface and experience itself right or is it is it to me the most interesting question it is or is it based on the early interest in iads as a platform people are downloading these first apps just to see the ads and experience them is you know are the ads going to be able to maintain that level of interest over time steve jobs you know, when he was making the pitch to developers was absolutely we're you know, we're going to manage the quality of this. We will be the arbiters of genius here. And and so these ads will be up to that level of, of quality. So we'll see if they can. Sustain well, and you're that. right. Pete. T- time will tell. Who knows if there was something funky, some uh, variable that that uh, isn't sustainable or, or, or whatever. But I'd certainly personally like to believe that they've actually come up with uh uh, a more appealing, uh, uh, and, and, you know, so from both sides, I mean, as a consumer, a more appealing, uh, um, I guess, more welcome uh, way to interface with advertising or to accept ads or see ads. And from a marketer standpoint, a more effective way of delivering them. And, right. and you know, we've talked a little bit before about, <laughs> you know, for years and years, uh, you know, conversations about mobile is the next, great ad platform and there's so few examples of good and or effective mobile advertising we're in that era now where i think we really are starting to see some very serious traction there yeah i think there's this uh, level of acceptance uh, in what people are willing to to take into their daily experience and i think they're you know they're starting to ignore the fact that it's not novel anymore uh and it's just a part of daily life and, and, you know, there's another piece of it, which is, you know, you want to support the developers that are go- doing good work. And I am more than willing to click on an ad uh, on a great website to support uh, a developer that's giving me great content. And uh, and I, I think the, exa- the same exists for apps. Right, right, in right. This, in this ecology. So uh, really interesting to see how that turns out. So we, I'm sure, will keep talking about it. Uh, there's lots of other news um, to talk about, but none of it is, you know, really uh, interesting me right this second. 
I'm like looking at our rundown and look at all this stuff. You know what? Social networking networking users actually do worry about uh, privacy. The the Marist Institute Institute for Public Opinion says that you know all the all the the great big social networks that say you know people aren't really as concerned about privacy as the pundits say they are. Uh, well, the Marist Institute says. Yeah, actually, they are. Uh, 50, a full 50% of their respondents, uh, a, a thousand respondents, 50% of them said they're either concerned or very concerned about privacy. Uh, the other 50% are not very concerned or not concerned at all. Um, that shows that it, a significant portion of, of this population is actually thinking about privacy, which I think is a good thing, uh, and at least is aware as a result of likely the privacy issues that Facebook and, and others have faced over the last um, uh, the last several months. Um, I, I don't know that it uh, I, I don't know that it'll affect uh, f affect change necessarily. It'll be interesting to see what happens with some of these great big new social networks coming out. But uh, but the survey I think is an in interesting uh, data point. Are you, you guys still uh, you guys are, are are still pretty heavy users, right? Yeah, I wouldn't say heavy, but um, I, I would say, Pete, that I think that I think the sweet spot here is somewhere between where companies like Facebook are trying to push um, us into not caring about our privacy, I think, a little bit, or at least that the technology influences, and, and where people really do have a breaking point, because I think people's perception on privacy is different than it was five and then ten years ago, and maybe even a year ago. Um, but there's there's a point there that... There's a sweet spot that we haven't hit yet, and it, it will ultimately either change Facebook, continue to change people's perception of privacy, uh, or uh, or create uh, ground for somebody to compete against them effectively in, a, in probably a short period of time if if, uh, if that sweet spot isn't sort of arrived at in, in you know some point in the near future, I think. Well, I think that's a really good point, and it needs to happen pretty quickly, only because you know there's such a vacuum right now in in competitors to Facebook. I mean, no nobody right, has really stepped up, you know, and, and I think there's yeah. a huge opportunity to address the shortcomings of Facebook uh, before Facebook does. And we need competition in this space. We desperately need competition in this space before Facebook becomes the de facto kind of sharing platform on the Internet. Um, Megan, anything? <laughs> do, you, do you care? No, I it's not that I don't care. I um I was thinking about our other news stories and uh, thinking that. You thinking about chat roulette? I'm not. <laughs> you on about chat, chat roulette play. right now? Oh God, I'm busted. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know what? The uh, the only other two news stories I had, I I wanted to talk to just share and more than anything else, the uh, subway campaigns. Did you guys get a good look at these? Awesome, awesome. And I wish, well, a I wish we had a subway in Portland, which we don't. Um, but be there. I just wish they would do more stuff like this around here. It's just kind of cool. They're very funny. We'll post them on the blog. There are lots of great pictures of really innovative subway campaigns where, uh, where you see advertisers who are taking great effort to tailor their their uh, campaigns to the location you know that are ikea is putting you know real furniture in the subway stations and in subway cars yeah um you know there's a, a fitness a gym in germany is is actually replacing all the handrails with barbells uh, and weights 
um, you know, the funeral services, uh, the funeral home uh, is, uh, is just a standard one. billboard on the opposite side of the tracks <laughs> saying, step a little closer in fine print. So you actually have to walk closer to see it and take your life into your own hands just to see nice. the ad. It's, it's, it's morbid and brilliant. Maybe that's why they're not in the United States. Yeah, right, right. We're a little uh, more litigious. Exactly. So it's a, it's think, a great thing to look the, at. I think where the max goes by the zoo is the closest thing uh, Portland does have to a subway. You guys should uh, get some clients and do some, some and just go Go us. hang out by the it's zoo. Max, max <laughs> retrofitting. Well, you know, that's the tunnel, right? There's that's the tunnel. tunnel. There. That's the tunnel. The underground stop that's our tunnel. That location. We get about five minutes. There you go. Five so minutes. like a subway for one stop. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, not even. Get creative. <laughs> Well, that's the trick, is uh, is figuring out how to be creative. Uh, there was uh, another uh, interesting little write-up on consumer-generated media campaigns, and I don't even know how much this is worth. This adds to the discussion. I think it really highlights the challenge in consumer-generated media, and it's something we should really talk to Doug about, which is this idea of how you engage your users to to get involved in your brand. And, and it's something that you know we've talked about before. This write-up over at... Um, uh, uh, at influential marketing, uh, you know, uh, Rohit does a great job of highlighting some of these campaigns of of engaging engaging the audience to create video and take pictures and come up with songs and things like that. Is that really the the most clever use of your audience's uh, intellectual capacitance? Well, see, this is where I think I'm going to get on my cause marketing bandwagon now. This is where I think cause marketing is far superior to some of this fluff that's out there about, you know, submit Why? a YouTube video about Mountain Dew or uh, create a new Folgers jingle. Really? Um, I just think that when you, if you're asking consumers to engage in something that they care about and that you care about and is important to your brand, why why not pick a cause? That's that's my stance on it. Because that's where you see cause marketing. I mean, they have an example of the Pepsi Refresh campaign, which is, you know, that's the one that gets touted around everywhere. But there's so much. There's, there's a lot of really neat stuff happening out there. Um, kind granola. I don't know that they're really granola bars, but they're sort of energy bars. Has a neat campaign out that was just written up in the New York Times um, where they're essentially, the brand is kind, and they're essentially asking you to uh, do a kind of a pay it forward activity for which, you know, you get points or I don't know exactly what you get, but it's kind of a neat little online interface where they're, they're encouraging you to pay it forward and do something kind for someone else. And it's kind of a neat, um, play on the brand and, you know, you kind of, kind of feel good about it versus like, I'm going to go make a Mountain Dew video. Right. So, yeah, so there's, there's my, there's my soapbox for cause marketing. You know, it's a great, <laughs> it's a great soapbox. I mean, it's the idea of, of, you know, as long as there's good to be done, uh, there's a way to do it and support the brand too, and engage your com consumers right, right in something that's somewhat meaningful versus froofy. So, well, on, we can post on that as well. That we will definitely post that, and and uh, uh, you know, I think uh, uh, I think that's good, and I think now it is time to actually uh, bring the smarts. What do you say? Let's do it. Let's do it. Yay. Okay. Well, we are. Really excited today to have a, a guest who uh, brings a lot of experience and a lot of enthusiasm about uh, technology and communications and, and a lot of things that are uh, going on in, in the world around us, the business world around us. Uh, Doug Poli, who is the Vice President of Internet Strategies and Corporate Development at Econo. Um, Doug, do you want to tell us, uh, tell the audience just a, just a little bit about you? Sure. 
So I've been with Icono for a while now. We're a, a portfolio company, like Dana had mentioned, for Insight Venture Partners in New York City. And my job is to lead up the strategic partnerships with the company, also help advise on multi-channel digital strategy, including mobile, social, cloud-based services. And currently, my role is leading up the strategic relationship with Google and also with Equinix, VMware, and some of the other partners that we have in our ecosystem. That's, That's just fascinating. I mean, that, so I think, uh, I think uh, we've heard of Google. I think, I think uh, that, Doug, I follow uh, you on Twitter and, and some other um, social platforms, and I'm always just amazed and blown away at, at uh, the conferences you're attending or, you know, the news items you're out in front of or, or the people that you're interacting with. Uh, and you truly are, you know, somebody that uh, is just simply on the forefront, not only of, you know, your, your you know, networking and, and uh, uh, from a business perspective, the things that you're involved in and helping to, um, to see through, but... Uh, in terms of the way you see um, the technology and the way it's 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 sort of affecting society or, or or affecting corporate cultures, and I think every time I get a little tidbit from you or or, or we talk uh, in person, there's there's just something that I think you're you know you're seeing that's that's going on or about to happen, and uh, I've always been fascinated um, by that about you. Um, what do you see happening right now? I mean, what are some of the things that that you're involved in? Um, uh, that that would be interesting. Yeah, so just to kind of start, I think the big story is not really all the technology that we're hearing about on a daily basis. So you could go to tech meme and soak that in. But really, the big stories on a day-to-day basis is, is how that technology transforms individuals and organizations. Um, technology itself is, is useless without the individuals in, that can uh, implement them. And right now, we're at Reddit at an interesting time where cloud computing um, is in some ways kind of the new social media. I mean, we're talking about three or four years ago where social media was very, very much on the forefront of people's minds. We were being over flooded with it in the media. And now it's kind of the standard ops within most general uh, Fortune 500s and small to medium-sized enterprises. So um, right now, cloud computing is taking on that kind of uh, disruptive role where organizations are having to rethink uh, their current technology set and say, should we be hosting most of our communication services and other services in-house within our own data centers, or should we be outsourcing those to companies like Google and others who do it better on a larger scale? So Google, just take for example, has data centers throughout the world, and, and these servers are uh, distributed throughout the world, throughout these data centers, and um, with their massive scale, the largest computer network in the world, I think they can do it a bit better than most organizations. So um, now that this is happening, it, it also produces trust um, situations where can people trust their data, can they move it outside their firewall, can they feel comfortable where it's at, and that causes disruption. Um, so we're seeing those kind of things happening today. Our company is seeing Google migrations happening worldwide. So not just for um, companies here in the United States, but also for companies outside that area. So with Google having such a large presence, it's I don't want to just focus on Google specifically, but what I'm saying is it's helping those organizations transform. 
And when they toe dip into outsourcing to a cloud environment, um, a simple thing like email, that can lead to other services that can outsource to the cloud and leads to maybe to the next largest step, which is most companies may not have data centers anymore where they have servers in-house. And that'll all be outsourced to specific partners that are out there in an ecosystem. So, yeah. you know, I think it's a, I, I think you're bringing up some you know, some really interesting kind of technological kind of evolutionary pieces. And uh, and I, I'm interested in, you know, we, we know that uh, organizations are making the move, you know, to Google, but to Microsoft, SharePoint, whatever, you know, there are a lot, all these big technology companies are trying to, to be involved in, in the cloud. Uh, one of the things that we were talking about before the show is this idea of cloud communities. Uh, and, you know, it, it starts to reek of a, of a marketing term. Uh, can you define what a, what a, crowd, a cloud community is in the context of all this transformation, this tra transformative effect, and, and how, it, how, it, how we're seeing the cloud bring people together? Right. Well, cloud community can be defined in many ways. Um, let me just take it from an example. You have Facebook, uh, which is a large cloud community. Um, we're seeing a large migration from other social services over to Facebook. And that, that community, and the, that wave of information, that stream that's coming down from people that you friend, creates an uh, information wave on a daily basis of what's trending, where it's happening. And we're seeing that in cloud communities like Twitter and others. So. Uh, headline news is not not driven from large organizations in in mainstream media, but they're looking to the stream, and that stream comes from communities themselves that are dictating what's what's happening and what's trending. So even even last evening, for example, if you were following Twitter, uh, the the SB awards in, on ESPN were high topics, and those are the things that are peaking. So. Those are the things people are looking to is what, how is the internet shaping our lives, how it's transforming organizations, how it um, feeds us on a daily basis. And cloud communities can happen at, on a macro scale like the ones I just mentioned, but also on a micro scale. And I'm seeing um, smaller communities, say for example, healthcare organizations that are using cloud communities to drive um, information around their organization um, specifically like a mobile solution. So we're going to see a lot more happening um, and everything migrating over to the mobile side where clouds are going to start developing and people will use mobile technologies to access those clouds. So today's, today's environment is not, you're not connecting to your desktop anymore to, to connect to software. You're connecting to, to software that's hosted in a, in a data center so really, the future technologies of appliances or applications or services that you buy will all be attached to these data centers going forward. And so cloud communities are, are really the underlying uh, driver to these types of um, technologies. So I see a lot of future with the, with the sub-cloud um, communities in, in specific um, industries, like, like I've mentioned in healthcare. But everyone's going to be developing these and then the cloud itself will be driven out of the large data center so very exciting times very exciting I, you know I, I i wonder and this is this is sort of the struggle that i that we talk about often and and um, uh, you know i i feel like i i haven't seen a, a really sophisticated answer to this question yet from a technology side uh but uh, 
when you have organizations that are dealing with large, you know, bodies of customers, where what is a strategy that they can apply to to engage those customers using these cloud initiatives? And, and you know, their choices are, you know, you've got Facebook, where you can go start a fan page on Facebook and start giving away, you know, giving away product for free to get people to fan up and, and run your ads. You've got, uh, you know, we, we saw Mark Andreessen's uh, Ning.com was a, I, I thought was a a fantastic, uh, you know, early solution to allowing brands to create their own kind of cloud communities that that seems to be really struggling. Uh, who are you seeing in this space that is that is really providing a platform for organizations to utilize to to build these social networks for their uh, for their own specific constituencies? Well, and to build their brand. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think you'd mentioned a couple uh, that are pretty good. Ning's story is interesting. How. They had to move from the freemium uh, model to a more of a premium model and move people off of that because of um, scale and such. But I think, for example, we'll take the Old Spice ads that are trending high right today and yesterday. seems to get a lot of hype. And they're moving most of their, of their advertising and their commercials into the Facebook model and also on YouTube. I think YouTube shows how how that cloud community is really driving a lot of conversation for brands and allowing um, other mediums like Twitter so that they can respond directly to consumers as if they were the individual in the Old Spice ad. So I'm, I'm really glad you brought up YouTube. I think a lot of, uh, a lot of brands mistake YouTube as a, a, a channel and forget that it is a massive community Yes, it's uh, a, unto itself. Yeah, and that's... That's the interesting part um, going forward is, is how do you draw um, these cloud communities together? Meaning, if you're a marketer, uh, like some of the people that probably listen to this show and you're saying, how do I... I, I think you're... I, I, maybe. There's a big maybe there. Yeah. <laughs> but but how, do you, how do you draw it all together? And I think what we're seeing right now is there are companies that are coming out with capabilities for cloud management so that you can manage an organization across multiple cloud systems and allow for logins essentially in a secure environment to these to these uh, cloud systems and so that means if you if you hired a marketer and you say okay now I need you to go in and manage all this how do you do it and and then make sure that they have the right access and information across the cloud platforms and cloud management solutions are now coming and I think that's going to be very interesting to help organizations make sense out of the, the stream that's coming at them on a daily basis and make sense of it all. So some of the, some of the challenges that I'm seeing here for organization um, is, is a cloud management and then the, the plethora of information and how to make sense of it all. And I think that's the next wave of, of information management is how do we how do we grapple this stuff and, and then rise from the bottom to the top the thing that's most relevant to you, your organization, or your customers? And uh, uh, in, in Silicon Valley, there's a, just a lot of talk of startups that are doing this today. Uh, Is it, when you say cloud management solutions, I mean, are, would you put Hootsuite in that category or are you thinking of some other things that, that we're not familiar with perhaps? Um, these, are, these are products that are I can't mention some of the companies that are working on these, but um, these are products that essentially allow for 
um, an individual inside an organization to go to a specific area on their screen and then launch into all the cloud services they've um, subscribed or have services on to make it feel like one continuous operating system. So that's the, the cloud operating system which everyone's talking about is coming here soon. Wow. Which, is, which is sorely missing. I mean, this idea of getting these, getting, you know, uh, Google and, uh, you know, all the various services, Google Office and resharing options and Facebook and sharing options and uh, to get all of those systems to talk to one another in a way that that is both, you know, open and illustrative of what's going on with your brand, uh, but uh, and really able to filter the noise out of, of what can be a, a really ugly uh, mess of data. Uh, I think is is really missing in this space, uh, and I think is probably a a, a, a a large hindrance in in companies being able to adopt and not see this as as a as a, a waste of time. Yeah, data overload is one of the biggest issues right now with a lot of companies and, and individuals. They just they can't make sense of it all, and now with so many new things coming down now with geolocation services and crowdsourcing services and augmented reality. I mean, we're now we're layering even more technologies on top of people's already complex day to, to make sense of all these cloud systems. So really the data overload services that are coming out and helping try to fix this and, like you say, bring things to the top, that's where um, I think many companies will benefit from in the future because right now they just, they're having a hard time. Kind well, of like BP yeah. capping the well. Yeah. <laughs> go, go ahead, I, Megan. Sorry, Dane. Um, I think we're also thinking about it in this conversation from a marketing perspective, but I think what Doug is saying is that cloud, cloud management and cloud computing sort of pervades the entire organization. So I guess I'm curious to know, Doug, in an ideal world and in what you're seeing with some of these companies developing these cloud management tools – who in an organization is tasked with cloud management? Because, you know, I mean, it, it seems to me that there's implications for employee communications, as you were talking about earlier with mobile devices and marketing and social media. I mean, who in an ideal world, is, has that even been flushed out yet? I don't think so. I think you're always going to see a tug of war between IT and trying to IT to wrangle control over the organization to keep security pieces and and where the, where the communities can traverse it in, essentially inside the organization and how it affects who they can talk to outside the organization, what kind of information they're sharing. So I think IT will always be grappling with how open and transparent they can allow the, the marketers essentially or, or the brand managers to be. So that's why I always feel like there's got to be an internal group or um, I guess you could say a uh, kind of a committee uh, that it, that comes together, and this committee could be essentially from the IT organization, from senior management, the executive suite, from marketing, um, from brand management, and those kind of people would come together and say, how do we manage the cloud to give us enough openness and transparency, but also give IT the comfort and feeling for security, and not let IT dictate the entire environment. I think when we, we see IT dictating the environment, it's easier to clamp it down and keep the rules on rather than allow for expansion. So um, Best Buy, for example, when they initially came out with their um, Blue Shirt Nation, 
This is a social network they developed internally to allow individuals and employees to exchange ideas. And you know, when they initially went to IT, IT just said no. And so what they did is they developed the Skunk Works and they did it and they um, set this up outside the IT firewall. And then once they had it set up and they had a large group of, of people communicating in there, then they were able to develop and, and uh, expose it to the senior management who then enveloped that in underneath their organization. So sometimes it takes individuals who break rules and, uh, and are um, going to take risks in order to uh, push the organization and, and, uh, and make them think about how to be more collaborative in today's new, new environment. It's not the same as it was before. So what's your take on the on it, it seems like it's the new build versus buy um, uh, discussion in in making use of these social media tools uh, specifically I mean you're talking about Best Buy you bring up this issue of you know Best Buy decided to start their own uh, network as somebody who's involved in the tool space what is your take on on a brand making the choice to build their own network for their own people versus start their own sort of sub network on an existing platform like Facebook yeah i think it just depends on how much you're looking to share i think many organizations that are looking to collaborate quickly will pick the the platform with the most individuals in them so target for example is in facebook and has a large community there that they if anything they post they're going to get thousands of responses in there so they're doing quite well in in that environment where um, if they're looking to create a, a way for employees to communicate with each other they might pick a jive software um, right in your neighborhood out in portland or or um, some of the others you talked about earlier with andreessen's product and ning to build something that might be a little more private and um, now we're seeing that a bit and also in communities like like healthcare if they want cardiologists for example to specifically talk to each other they'll create a private community just for them that they can monitor and control that way it doesn't allow for a lot of um, individual marketers to kind of get in there and, and disrupt the, the pure communications and exchange. All right, then, All right. then I, I have to ask, as closely as you work with Google, maybe, maybe you, know, you, you may not be able to, to delve too deeply on rumor mongering, but uh, what is your take on Google Me? And uh, is there room in this space for another monolithic uh, uh, social network? Yeah, I will speak from my own opinion and not from anything I've, I've learned from Google. <laughs> okay. But from my own opinion, um, Google has had a tough time entering the social space. You can see that um, the Wave product um, didn't get a whole lot of traction. Also, the product uh, of Buzz had a, had a few um, ripples as it launched there. And so, you know, Google is, is, is good at a lot of things. They may not be the best at everything, but I do, I do applaud them for keeping in the game and, and trying out and experimenting and see what's going to happen. The Google Me product could could eventually become something where people are saying, I, if it has better features, it tries something new, and it helps incorporate my streams. Maybe it's something I can I can then take on. Um, but again, we see in Facebook when um, I, I think it was about two years ago we saw a large adoption into the service once everyone had had indicated okay everybody's there 
So can Google gain that same type of traction where they can um, get, get enough people inside the system in order to attract people to adopt into it? That's yet to be, um, to, yet to be seen. And I'm very curious what's going to happen because like Google can disrupt or you know, they can just add value. So we'll see what they do. I think it's a, I, the most interesting bit about it is just their massive the the massive network that exists already. You know, I mean, they they tried. I think they 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 tried with uh, with Buzz to leverage that network in a in a clever and and I think what they imagined was streamlined way, and it ended ended up biting them, integrating Buzz with with Gmail. Uh, you know, itself and exposing obviously the the news was exposing you know your frequent contacts, email contacts through your buzz friends list publicly. That was, that was, you know, maybe a, a, a miscalculation, but, but boy, it shows as a, as a precursor to what they can do. Um, I, I think it, it shows a lot of chutzpah uh, to, to get off the ground. And I, I wonder, I mean, given the, uh, given the size of Facebook, if there is, if there's space in this market right now, of course, I think a lot of people were saying the same thing about AOL, you know, is there space for a competitor to AOL? And look, where where are they now? Yeah, I think the the, the true value that maybe a Facebook can bring, can't bring that a Google could is all the integration of their other services into that social technology. So whether it be um, uh, conferencing using Google Chat, video conferencing, and those kind of services, um, the email threading, the calendaring. Um, the, the Google Apps type applications that they can layer into the, the social fabric, that's something another company couldn't do. Right, and right. With, with the millions of customers that are on Google's Gmail platform, Gmail becomes a giant beta experiment for these type of things. Well, that's, a, that's a, a, I think, a, a great assessment because I think given the amount of integration in the tools already, the average customer is likely to forgive uh, you know, potentially forgive Google's uh, sort of lack of polish in design and, and functionality in exchange for that level of integration with a world they already live in every day. Mm -hmm. Correct. And there's something in general, I think we had talked about a couple of weeks ago, Pete that uh, and Megan, that um, when we were talking about the, the issues that Facebook was having with privacy, um, w w when you talk about you know, people dropping out of the surface or, or staying in, and there were a lot of um, uh, there's a lot of speculation about whether or not some of the um, the issues that they were dealing with with their latest uh, privacy changes or modifications. Uh, you know, would it be the end of, or, or at least the beginning of the end with Facebook? Uh, and it doesn't look to be, but you know, um, but I think that's still playing out. But on the other hand, Google, who there are. Uh, you know, they, they, there's mass adoption of a lot of other parts of Google that ex have uh, some sort of privacy exposure, but there's a trust level there or a, or a willingness to forgive or a certain track record that uh, kind of does allow them to keep trying. Um, the, uh, something about their approach, I don't know, Doug, if you have any opinion on that, but, but, but there's something about, I think, the way that they, um, uh, it, I guess they're, they're sort of corporate social responsibility or whatever, that, that I think we have a different perception, even though we know there's a level uh, of privacy exposure. Yeah, I think right now we're seeing what we call the cloud wars. And, and um, a lot of companies are going to be pointing fingers of who's more like, you know, the evil organization. And, and 
We're seeing just yesterday, Microsoft pointing fingers at Google at their developer conference in DC saying Google's bad and, you know, and, you know, that stigma has, you know, rested with Microsoft for a long time now. So everyone's trying to shake that big brother kind of feeling and, and say we're the cloud and we're, we're open and we're going to allow for interoperability with this cloud service. So that seems to be the new the new way of, of, of communication and way that the organizations, especially the large ones, are trying to battle each other out within the cloud systems. Um, yeah, and, and as far as trying to um, be quick to, to fix, you know, when Google came out with the, with the buzz, they, they apologized and quick, and they quick fix, and they quicked it and fixed it very quickly. Sorry. And they also, uh, <laughs> if you, if you, if you look at, um, uh, Apple today, and with Apple's antenna issue, you can see that it took something like the Consumer Reports thing to drive them to hold a press conference. Um, I don't think we'd be seeing that from them. Uh, they're very, they're staying kind of quiet behind the doors about this issue. So, I think that's that's a it's a good thing to see companies that are out there. If they make mistakes, they'll fix them uh, quickly. They'll they'll communicate quickly, and I think you're going to see a lot of a lot of that in the future because that's the way that you can trust them and trust their services. So that's such that's a, such that, a that, yeah, that's a fabulous point. That's that's uh, I I think really um, at the time that we were really kind of going off about this in the conversation, um, I think our frustration, uh, Megan and and Peter was, wow, where's Facebook? You know, there, there, we're seeing some really horrible write-ups here from you know. Newsweek and other publications, and we don't see a response. Or when we see a response, it's a really muted, limited response, or it doesn't really address things. Or it, uh, you know, they they've they've done a few things since then. But but there was a time period that that in terms of the way I think the news cycle works, or or let's not call it that. Maybe it's the uh, consumer expectation cycle, I guess, which um, is uh, I think today uh, a lot faster, a lot. Uh, speedier, I guess, of a cycle than, than it ever has been um, and continues to be, you know, I mean, th- that expectation that you're talking about, Doug, you know, Google's uh, responding and, and Apple responding. Well, Apple took a while to respond to other publications, but yeah, okay, uh, now Consumer Reports and there's a response. Um, that's the interesting thing that I, th- I think you're just really hitting it on the head and I think it's fascinating um, and I think your perspective on it is interesting to, to say, uh, y- you know, if we're talking about trust, it's not that we're talking about you never make a mistake or privacy is never exposed, uh, you know, or, or you don't have failed products or, you know, things don't go wrong. It's that response. And I think that, um, and Doug, I've heard you make this point in a lot of different ways um, uh, over the last couple of years, that that's part of this entire evolution is companies uh, listening and interacting with, with consumers. And, 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 and when we talk about a cultural change, um, where did he go? And Dane is gone. Dane, I'm here. Oh, there you go. <laughs> I'm here. All right. So pick I'm it up. Right we, here. I, I lost you. You're talking about cultural change. Dane, did you just come from another world? You, you, you stopped and then you're like, what's the deal? Yeah, I know. <laughs> like we're the ones who are weird. Yeah. No, seriously. What the hell happened? <laughs> Honestly. It's like I most- was making the most brilliant point ever. It was. As usual, when it you was. were on mute. <laughs> I was not on mute. Wow, that sucks, right. guys. Cultural change. You were talking about cultural change. I don't know. Where'd you lose me? Good so, Lord. 
This is like memento. Look at your hand, and yeah. then <laughs> so. yeah, I know. I exactly. Well, I probably time warp there. All right, so I'm gonna. I'll, I'll tell you what I was thinking about when you uh, when you were making your little rant. You is is this idea that that you know just because the technology exists that allows companies to respond quickly to, and and to see pain points in their constituent audiences does not necessarily mean that they have the same willingness to respond quickly to the pain points in their constituent audiences, right? Uh, you know, you have Facebook and Apple that are notoriously silent and strategically so uh, silent in these discussions. And you have Google, which responds so quickly and enables every single engineer to, to have that same level of ability to respond uh, to the market when they uh, um, when things happen. And I think that's a that that's really an illustrative point of, of what's going on in the market for being able to communicate as marketers with your publics. Yeah, I also think this is part of something that I, I captured in the Wall Street Journal a while back, and it's called the virtuous cycle. And it talks about companies that can be malleable, can have the growth mindset of seeing life as a journey, embracing uncertainty, seeking new experience, and broadening their, their repertoire. Those are the kind of companies that will place small bets quickly. And if they'll manage risk through action and not um, analysis, essentially. So they will succeed more often in new situations because failing is part of their, of their DNA. And they'll know that they are going to be failing, but they're going to do it quickly. And people like that because they feel like, that's like me. You know, I want to, I want to know people that fail but tell me, but then keep moving on. Yeah, that's a great point. You know, I heard I had a, a, a friend who um, uh, did some contract work at, at Google and he said, you know, I mean, we, we talk a lot about companies that try to that, that just throw spaghetti up on the wall and see what see how much of it sticks. And, and he said, you know, given that uh, when you when you walk into Google, the place is just, you know, metaphorically disgusting. You know, you could just see the, the the trail of spaghetti on every wall in the place. So I thought that that's an interesting metaphor. Yeah, and that probably comes from their 20% rule uh, where they're always working on something that doesn't have um, you know, a project assigned to it or even a manager. They can just kind of free form and see what, what, what's working. And that's in that free environment where the mind can think, that's where things like Gmail were born. So uh, more organizations, I think, should look at um, adopting what Google calls the Google hive mind, where it can... It can move and, and, and be malleable to different environments, and it can move from one part of the hive to another, depending on the uh, the scope of the work or the the newness of it, or even the the popularity. So that's a that's very hard for big companies to do, and it's I give them hats off that they can do it at the, at scale. Well, uh, that's I, we sure appreciate your insights uh, today, Doug. You, you are such a great way. Your perspective gives us a great way to look at some of these, uh, you know, marketing concepts in a in a whole new way. So we sure appreciate you taking the time to join us today, and um, and and share your wisdom. Yeah, thank yeah, you, yeah, Doug. Thank you very much. Fascinating. Where uh, it, should people be interested in learning more about you and following more of your uh, internet genius? Where would you like them to find you? Um, so I have a. I keep a blog of ideas out there, kind of a collection more or less, at poli.com, at P-O-L-L-E-I.com. Um, but they can also follow our company at icono.com. And we're also uh, sponsoring uh, Jason Calacanis' show, the, um, the this, this Week in Startups, as well as This Week in Cloud Computing. So follow some of their stuff. 
what we're um, sponsoring down there, as well as sponsoring Leo Laporte show um, uh, this week in tech. So those are all great, great ways that you can stay on top of new technology. And we like to be part of those individuals and those crowds because it's the ideas of where things are, are flowing. So we're just, uh, yeah, stay in touch. Well, fantastic uh, properties. Uh, we're, you've got you're sponsoring shows. I'm a huge uh, personal fan of all those shows. They're they're terrific, uh, as you say, ways to stay on top of this stuff. So, uh, and and what about uh, now? You're you're pretty active on the Twitter. You don't want to you don't want to plug your tw- your own Twitter. <laughs> yeah, it's all on the website. All so right. I kind of linked <laughs> everything there. But um, yeah, just Doug Poli, uh, D O U G P O L L E I is the Twitter handle and. For the most part, I like talking about um, new technologies, uh, things that are happening at Fortune 500s here in in the Twin Cities. So, like Targets, the Best Buys, and the General Mills, as well as uh, cloud services. So, I'm I'm a bit all over the place when it comes to I don't have a specific focus, but when I find things that are interesting, I'll put them out there. And uh, I like Dan had mentioned, I do like to go to trade shows. I I sometimes feel like a a nerd junkie of of trade shows and and uh, and I don't know if that's good or bad, but I do like to go there because I get to soak in uh, a lot of the the ideas that are that are permeating out there, and that's where a lot of the new stuff is born. Well, mostly it it allows us to uh, to take another opportunity to make Dane feel bad about not tweeting more. <laughs> oh, stop! <laughs> anyway, Doug, thank you again for your time, and and uh, we uh, we hope you'll come back as as wonderful, new, interesting things uh, hit the world of the cloud. Yeah, let's uh, let's let's join up again another year and talk about mobile or some other stuff. Let's do love it. We'd to. love to. Thanks. I appreciate Doug. it so much, Doug. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you. What a great interview, you guys! I found that very interesting. Very interesting, and and Pete, you know, you and I had talked the other day about the value uh, in terms of this podcast that uh, the people we've been able to to bring on brings. Uh, uh, I, you know, listening to uh, Doug talk, just thought once again, and we've had several shows like this that I want to just. I, I don't know that I want to be doing the interviewing so much as just be the podcast audience and listen to this fascinating person and, and what he has to say. So it was great. I'm glad we were able to get him on. Yeah, Definitely get absolutely. him on again. Absolutely. I think he's got a lot of uh, that insight into just the, the connectivity between how companies are using their platforms to actually build audiences is, is uh, really fascinating. So lots yeah. more to talk about with Doug Poli. Absolutely. Uh, let's talk about uh, tools, shall we? Do we have a tool? I have a tool. Yeah, I was going to say. But I want to see if I'd... you have any tools. Do you have any tools, people? I ha- well, you and I had the same tool, except I wasn't calling it a tool. So go All right. ahead. Well, let's talk about the tool. The tool is uh, Evernote, and we've talked about Evernote a whole bunch on the show. And I'm I'm actually much chagrined that uh, our our friend Andrew Sinkoff is not available right now to uh, come on and talk to us about this. They launched uh, a significant update to Evernote uh, this week. Uh, apart from the usual kind of bug fixes and tweaks, they add they, there's a, a major new feature called Evernote Trunk. Trunk, as much as I understand it, is an app store for Evernote, which at, at first seems like, well, what what use would would an app store be for for Evernote? You know, it's a note tool; it syncs to their service in the cloud. It, you can tag stuff. That's great. 
but as soon as you open this new version of Evernote and you hit the trunk button, you can you can see why it it is actually uh, of uh, of note. Uh, there are some fantastically creative and clever companies that are working on ways to integrate with Evernote. Uh, most importantly, ways to take third-party services information and one-click save data, web data, notes, texts, photos from other services into your Evernote everything drawer, you know, the everything bucket that is Evernote. And it, it is uh, really fascinating. Uh, I just, I, I mean, it's so new that I, I literally have not actually installed any new apps yet. I just launched it this morning and I've kind of been reading up on it, but it looks like from, from, the, uh, um, from just an initial scan, there are some really great partners from PDF readers to Seismic Desktop. If you're a, if you're a Seismic user, you save your, uh, uh, save your uh, tweets and social dashboard information directly into Evernote, SAP, uh, to-do list manager, managers like Egret List, voice to note by dial to do, so you can make a, a, a turn all of your Evernote voice notes into searchable, taggable text. iFi, the iFi manufacturers of great uh, compact flashcards uh, for for digital cameras uh, that will allow you to use uh, Wi-Fi, take photos on your camera, and automatically send them via Wi-Fi up to your uh, up to your Evernote account without using a computer. Just some really interesting things. In, in well, that's a comprehensive trunk. list. I hope you please do share, Pete, as you experience those. Uh, what rises to the top in your experience? Are you trying to move me on? Is that what you're doing? <laughs> it sounds like you're trying to move me on. Uh, you're saying I'm pulling a Megan? I think you're pulling a Megan. What are you doing? I want to know if you have tried any of these things. Have you seen them? I have. I have seen that they did it, and I think it's very cool. I haven't tried them yet. And it aren't they also? Don't they also provide templates from specific vendors? Isn't that part of the beauty of of what they're doing on on this trunk? Yeah, I think it is, and I haven't explored these. Uh, you know, I haven't explored them in, at great detail. But it looks like some of them are, are templates. Some of them are custom notebooks. And right, and, uh, another feature is uh, is now you can actually subscribe to published. Uh, binders, which is cool, uh, which is really cool. So Make Magazine or, or Make.com has a, a, a projects binder that, that they publish. Um, cool Hunting is a, a, you know, a terrific feed of, of great, um, uh, you know, great projects and cultural uh, iconry. Uh, lots of resources uh, that you can subscribe to as binders that get automatically updated. What would be really cool is if I could figure out <laughs> how we could publish how we and I say royal we like how the you know users could publish their own binders uh, and and offer them like Evernote is doing uh, you know how could I create my own uh, uh. Naked marketers binder that people could subscribe to as a read only binder don't yet know how to do that but that's one of those questions that I, I you know I feel like it it's it seems like the next thing that we should be able to do is use Evernote as a publishing tool yeah um, you know drive our feed into it so Anyhow, really terrific, uh, a terrific tool, uh, a terrific upgrade from uh, to Evernote, and and uh, look forward to lots of great things from them uh, down the road. Make sure. And to if check any out. of our fabulous listeners have used the new trunk applications, let us know. Absolutely, uh, let us know, and uh, and that is uh, Evernote.com, and that's all we have for tools. And uh, well, let's see, what do we have? Anything else to talk about, people? I think we're good. I think we're good. Dane, anything else to talk about? 
since my voice change. It did. I did. Your internet goes down. You're back on the cell phone. This is a very. This is going to be a really schizophrenic show. Yeah, exactly. Uh, um, so this this has been uh, an, another uh, Naked Marketers on behalf of uh, no, not yet. Uh, Megan Strand, if people want to find you, where do they go? I'm always on the Twitter at Megan Strand. Or my website and blog, encouraged.com, which is I-N-C-O-U-R-A-G-E-D. Fantastic. And Dane Christensen, where do people find you? I just really hope they go to strike10media.com. Beautiful. And I'm Pete Wright, at Pete Wright on the Twitter, or fifthandmain.com is the website. You can learn more about this very show at thenakedmarketers.com or at Naked Markets on Twitter. Make sure to subscribe to the show in iTunes. That's the best way to get a hold of us. And make sure you don't miss a single episode uh, of, uh, of uh, Marketing Goodness. On behalf of Megan and Dane, my name is Pete. Thank you so much for downloading and listening uh, once again. And uh, we will catch up with you next week on The Naked Marketers. Thank you.